Our passage this morning is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. If you'd like to use the Bible there in your seats, that should be page 858. We are going through the Gospel of Luke in our sermon series, and one of the things that we've noticed is that Luke likes to go, at least in the opening chapters, back and forth between John, who is preparing the way, and Jesus. First, there is the announcement that John is going to be born, and then the announcement to Mary that Jesus will be born. And then there is the birth of John, and then the birth of Jesus. And this is, in many ways, the last important scene that Luke will give us as uh, the ministry of John prepares for the ministry of Jesus. And you'll notice that it's of such importance to Luke that he does a lot of work to place this, when this happens in history, Jesus' ministry is about to begin. John the Baptist is preparing for it. This happens in history so that Theophilus, who is reading this and all like him, may go back and see what the Lord has done through John and through Jesus. With that said, let's now ask that the Lord would bless the reading and hearing of his word as we attend to Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip Tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Licinius Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, 
who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when John also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Before I pray for what I am going to say, let me let you know what I'm not going to say. Uh, when we come to the passages that describe John and his baptisms, and then we, we may be asked, well, what's the difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism and why is Jesus being baptized? And some of the other Gospels focus more on Jesus' baptism than you'll have noted that, that Luke does here. And so I'm not going to speak to the particular differences between John's baptism and, and Christian baptism. That's something I'd be happy to talk to you about. It's something, in fact, I've, I've preached about in the past. If you have the little white sermon outline in here, you'll notice that there's a little QR code if you want to go back a few years to a sermon where I explain that in more detail. Uh, but I just... Don't want to leave you asking those questions um, and leaving them unanswered if you have interest after the sermon about some of those distinctions and how we understand what John was doing with his baptism, what Christian baptism is, and what that means for Jesus. But with that said, let me pray for what we will talk about, what the Lord describes through his servant, Luke. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which preserves for us the testimony of who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. We trust that by your spirit you will work in us as your word is unpacked this morning. I pray that I would speak only that which you have for your people. Help me and help all those who hear to respond in trust and obedience and love. We offer this time to you for your glory and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So are you ready? I don't mean for the sermon. I mean, that's a question that we're often asking. It's a question regularly on our lips, asked of others and asked of ourselves. Asking the kids in the morning, are you ready to go? Are you ready for school? Are you ready for the day? Are you ready for your test? Are you ready for work? Sometimes we ask that question in more serious situations. Am I ready to take on this new challenge, this new job? Are we ready for a move? Are we ready to be parents? Are we ready to retire financially, but also mentally? And a question that we often ask, though we rarely verbalize, am I ready? Are you ready to die? This is the question that John invites and helps the people of Israel to answer. Are you ready? Asking them that as he seeks to prepare them for the day of the Lord. That preparation speaking to the fact that most of them aren't ready so that they would recognize that and then be ready for the day of the Lord. Are you ready? The day of the Lord is coming and he has been called and he has been sent to prepare the people for that day. And as he preaches, as he invites repentance, as he offers baptism, he is seeking to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. 
And as we study his ministry this morning, we are invited to ask that question, are you ready? We ask that question of ourselves, placing ourselves in the position of the people that John preached to. Before we ever, when we read scripture, put ourselves in the position of the hero, like David or Joshua or even John the Baptist, usually the best thing to do is place ourselves in the position of the people, the greater people, and how are we responding like them? So to ask ourselves, as John asked them, are you ready? But then also to then having discerned that, having asked that of ourselves, then join with John because we want to ask that question of others, of our family members, of our friends, of our neighbors. Are they ready? The day of the Lord is coming. Are you ready? Now, John is unique in his time in history. He is uniquely preparing for the unique arrival of Jesus, our one and only Savior, the incarnate Lord. But in pointing to Jesus as the means to be prepared for the day of the Lord, we are able to see how we are prepared for the Lord and how we might be used of God to prepare others. Even as our attention in this passage is upon John, though, what he is saying and doing, let's not miss the fact that we do not prepare ourselves by ourselves. That's the first thing that we see in this passage, that the Lord prepares his people. For those around John to ask the question, am I ready? We note that it's a response to the fact that God has already sent John to them to announce the coming day of the Lord. Before they ever begin to ask that question comes the knowledge that the Lord is coming. And who is declaring that knowledge? Well, John is picking up on the prophetic tradition, pointing to the great day of the Lord when he will come to enact justice, when he will defeat the wicked and uphold righteousness. The very declaration, the very ministry of preparation that John has is because of the Lord. Note some of the hints that remind us of this if we get complacent or forgetful. Verse 2, it says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. On one hand, it's just reminding us of the source. John doesn't come up with this himself. It comes to him from God. And yet the word of God coming to someone, this phrase is a tradition throughout the Old Testament. When a prophet is sent with a message to the people, the word of, the God, uh, the word of God comes to Isaiah, or comes to Ezekiel, or comes to John. God has been quiet for a while. There have been prophets and prophetesses at times who have spoken true things, but the word of God coming to someone with a public ministry of proclamation has not happened since Malachi. Now the word of God has come to John as God prepares his people for himself. Not only does the Lord provide his word, but John was foretold through the prophets. Isaiah, which is quoted here in the passage for us, spoke of one that God would send to prepare the way of the Lord. Malachi, which is referenced earlier in Luke, and we looked at a few months ago, spoke of one who would come before the day of the Lord. God not only prepares John by giving him his word, John has been planned for, for centuries by God. We read earlier, for those of us that were here in the opening chapters of Luke, that John was born by God's miraculous intervention in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are in their old age and past childbearing age. 
We see that John is sent as the Lord's mean to prepare his people to preach truth, to confront sin, to invite to repentance unto salvation as God's work of preparing. Our preparation for the Lord for the day of salvation and judgment, the knowledge of how to live for him, does not start within us. If the starting place for answering the question is, are you ready, is what do I know, what do I have, what strength and ability was within me, then we are in a bad place to start. Rather than asking, are we ready, because we have discerned that the Lord has revealed his coming, has announced a way to get to him, and then we are looking at our lives through the lens of what God says, through his preparation as how we might know him. Our hope to be ready is because of the Lord. We are prepared for the day of the Lord only in response to the preparation he provides for us. The question then is, how will we respond to that preparation? Consider the work of a teacher. A good teacher wants his or her students to learn. They provide exams, they have tests, but the point of education is not the test or exam, or at least it shouldn't be, right? The point of the test or the examination or the essay is to reveal what they have learned, to measure what they've understood. And so the teacher is, first of all, going to let them know, hey, there's going to be a test at the end of the semester. How about a teacher would it be if the grade is completely dependent on a 30-page essay that the kids know nothing about? No, the teacher prepares them, hey, this is coming, and then provides the knowledge and the information, gives them activities to reinforce that truth, and even along the way, they might provide some pop quizzes that aren't expected, but are meant to reinforce, hey, I've given you this knowledge. I've prepared you. Are you laying hold of what I've prepared you for? If an imperfect teacher, if a sinful teacher can prepare her students, how much more so? Will the eternal and perfect Lord prepare his people for the coming day of the Lord, the ultimate test in the day of judgment? So the question is, how are we responding to what the Lord has done? Through his word to reveal what's happening, through his people to preach that to us, through his invitation to know him and be prepared for that day. If we have responded with faith and repentance, and the question is, how are we going forward? How are we responding to that pre preparation he has done in our lives? Is it with gratitude? Is it with humility? Our readiness to meet our maker is only because he has prepared us for himself as our redeemer. That he has announced, that he has proclaimed, that he has sent messengers and has worked salvation among his people. So we see our salvation is not ours, it's his. Notice that that's even what Isaiah describes of things in the verse 6, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God, not the saving of people who, who have the right understanding or who do good works, but the salvation of God who saves his people. This leads us to humble gratitude and joy and hope for those around us. Notice John is preaching, he's offering baptism, he's crying out in the wilderness. But he does it following the lead of the Lord, as the Lord has empowered him by his spirit, according to God's word for his glory. 
John is not doing this of his own volition. It's not his invention. It's not his idea. The Lord is sending him and is with him. And so as we think of those around us and we think, I I don't know if they can know the Lord, if they can be prepared to meet their maker, then go to the Lord in prayer. Because we will never be ready ourselves and we will never be sufficient to prepare someone else unless God is with us. So we humbly place ourselves under God, depending on him, training ourselves to see and respond to what he is doing. Asking the question, are you ready of ourselves or others, starts with recognizing that the Lord does the work of preparation. And then it invites us to know what we are getting ready for. What is it that John is proclaiming? Why is he preaching repentance and baptism? What is he preparing the people for? What is our gospel witness preparing people for? Is it the day of judgment? Are we warning of hell so that they can instead get into heaven? Yes, that's true, we are. But actually, that is the last step of what we are being prepared for. It's not actually what we are being prepared for. For what is John preparing people for? He is preparing them for the coming of the Lord. He is making straight the paths of the Lord. The meeting with God face to face. Hell is for those not prepared and purified to be with God. Heaven is the place where we dwell with God. But we are not ultimately preaching rewards and punishment. We are pointing to the fact that the Lord is coming. And if we're not prepared for that, then we can't enjoy that. And if we are prepared for that, we can enjoy that because what we are being prepared for is the Lord himself. This is what John is pointing to. This is what John's audience understood. Remember, John is preaching primarily to Israelites, to the covenant people of God. Uh, These are people who historically have said, well, God has made promises to us. We have Abraham as our father. We have the temple where we might be forgiven of our sins. God has promised to bless us. And throughout history, God's people have presumed upon God's grace, have proclaimed peace, peace, where there is no peace. They've rejected the prophets who said, there might be trouble coming, you need to repent. Because they've presumed upon the grace of God. John sounds so stark here. He's willing to use phrases like vipers. You poisonous snakes to shake them out of their lethargy. To say the God who you worship is good. He is gracious, but you cannot enjoy his coming. If you are destroyed for your sinfulness as he comes. What we're preparing people for is the Lord. And this might be why I would say less and less maybe we're called to preach fire and brimstone because that God, that God has used throughout history, but primarily for people who have presumed upon the love of God, who have presumed upon their self-righteousness that need to be shaken out of it. And yet at, on other occasions, we have so many people that think of God as a vindictive judge in heaven and he is judge and he is righteous, but he is also loving God. He is perfect in holiness. He is love himself. 
whether we are in a context in which we need to warn of heaven, and, uh, excuse me, of hell and its judgment, or we need to offer he- heaven for those who know him, the ultimate goal that we're preparing people for is the Lord. That's why these words are true here, because does the Lord, the eternal God, suddenly show up in these moments? Well, not as he will ultimately do in history, but he does in the incarnate Jesus. John is preparing people to meet the Lord, and he prepares them to meet the Lord by preparing them to meet Jesus. John may seem like a doom and gloom sort of guy, We might even be tempted to contrast his ministry with Jesus's, even though Jesus spends plenty of time warning of judgment and hell. Yet the passage is clear that what John is preaching is good news. Look at verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. John is honest about sinfulness. John is honest about confronting self-righteousness and presumption because he wants to tear down every obstacle to the enjoyment of the good news that the Lord is coming. To fix what's wrong, to make right what should be. The good news is that the Lord has not forgotten them. He is coming. He is coming to punish evil and make things right. And it's not too late to participate in what the Lord is going to do so that you could enjoy his presence. Look, look at the imagery here of the threshing floor. We have here the description of, of Jesus, the one who, whose sandals that John is unfit to untie. And then notice in verse 17, it says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And one hand, that is absolutely a picture of judgment, Right? Those that are the Lord's, he will gather to himself. Those that are not will suffer the unquenchable fire. But notice what the purpose is to gather in the harvest. And what is the harvest but the precursor to feasting? John is preaching not just brimstone, not just fire. He is preaching Good news that the Lord is coming and wanting to remove every obstacle in the lives of those who can't enjoy it because of their own sin. What do you think you are preparing for? What is coming for you? It matters to how you will prepare. This afternoon, there are two big football games. And I can guarantee you, they're not saying, well, we've played a bunch of football games, so I'm prepared. No, they've been studying tape all week to say, I need to be prepared to play this team and these players in these instances. Or we prepare for vacation. We don't just say, well, I'm just going on vacation. Are, are you going somewhere warm? Are you going somewhere sunny? Are you going somewhere sandy? Are you, are you going to go uh, hiking? You prepare accordingly. We need to know that we're not preparing just for some kind of eternal reward system to, to be cast into one camp or another camp. The casting into those camps is a result of whether or not we have prepared for what all of creation and all of eternity is about, the Lord himself. What are you preparing for? Some people are not preparing for anything. This is often the default for many of us. Even if we think there might be something beyond death, some accounting for evil at the end of the world, 
because despite how often we talk about evolution or people being the product of pure chance, we still operate as if good and evil exist nonetheless. And so we say we have some sense that it might happen. And yet because death is scary, because we can't control it, we often don't prepare for it. Is that how you're preparing for the end of your life? Or maybe we believe there is judgment and we think we can't win. I'll never be good enough. I'll never have done enough good. I've never been smart enough. My life won't be worth enough. Look at all the things that have happened to me. I'm worthless. How can I enjoy heaven? Others might presume. We are preparing for glory because we think we are glorious. But what the passage reminds us of, what John is preaching, is that there is an eternal God. And he uses God's covenant name, Lord. We are preparing for the covenant God. We were made for him, and we are meant to be with him, but we can only be with him when we are holy. But if we aren't, we can't be. And we can't escape the truth any more than a child covering their eyes can make themselves invisible. And so we need to consider, what are we preparing for? Is it the Lord who is holy and perfect and wants us? And is that good news that we would want to be prepared for? And hearing and seeing what John is proclaiming to the people and proclaiming to us by his spirit this morning, then we ask, then how do we get prepared? The answer in this passage is through cleansing. If there is a holy God and we are an unholy people, then we need to be cleansed and forgiven in order to enjoy that day when he comes. We need to remove the obstacles, the, the valleys in our lives and the high places that become stumbling blocks to the path of the Lord. The default position of all humanity is sin. And so we all alike share the need for a removal of that sin. This is why John spends so much time preaching repentance. Repentance is an acknowledgement of that sin and a baptism a sign that we need to be cleansed from that sin. First, look at how John helps prepare the people through repentance. He preaches it. His baptism is about repentance. And it's not just, a, notice confession, it's not just note, saying, yes, we've messed up, we've sinned, but it's about turning from evil to what is good. The Old Testament word for repentance uh, that is translated into the Greek, the, the Hebrew word is to turn. It's to say, this is bad, this is destructive, I don't want this anymore. But it's not just to acknowledge it's bad, but to turn instead to what's good, to what's right, to what's beautiful in God. And so John is calling the people not to just acknowledge what's wrong, but to turn from it and agree with God as to what's good and clean. This is what he's addressing in verses 7 through 9. Notice he, he speaks to the crowd. Some of the crowds are coming out, and the other gospels uh, describe for us that these are largely religious leaders. And he says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He describes them as poisonous snakes trying to escape across the wilderness from a bushfire. And he asks that, notice that he, they come out to be baptized, but he says, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And most commentators agree that he means by baptism. He's saying, do you think you can merely just come out here, have me put water upon you, and you're good to go? 
you're not going to be saved by the ritual of me applying this baptism if there is no actual repentance, if there's not the fruit of repentance accompanying it. Repentance acknowledges the fact that ritual can't save us, that empty religious performance is insufficient. We need to acknowledge our sin and turn to what's good. We also have the tendency, instead of acknowledging our need, to look to our covenant heritage, to say, well, I was born in the church, or my parents were Christians. For the Israelites, it's to say, well, we're the covenant people. Abraham is our forefather. John cuts them out at the knees when he says that the Lord is able to raise from the very stones around them sons of Abraham. What good is it of you to say you're a son of Abraham? God can turn that stupid, dumb, purposeless rock into a son of Abraham. What good is that? You're only truly a son of Abraham and able to enjoy the covenant if you respond as Abraham did with faith and obedience. So the first part of that cleansing is acknowledging sin, that we need to be cleansed, that our status, that our ritual, that our heritage is not sufficient to be prepared. And then we need to turn from what's wrong to what's right. Notice how he speaks to the fruit of repentance. And we have these people coming out to them, and they're not just saying, I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person, but they say, what does the Lord want from me? And he answers and he points to how our heart for God is often reflected in the way that we treat other people. That one of the primary ways that we can test, am I walking in the way that the Lord wants, is how I treat other people. He says, do you have more than you need? Then you should be giving it to others. To the tax collectors, don't steal. To the soldiers, don't extort. Now, now notice what, G, what John doesn't say. Because most Israelites would have told the tax collector, stop being a tax collector. You have turned your back on your people. You are colluding with the Roman authorities. That would have been the easier thing. No, he says, you have a job to do. You can fulfill that calling. You have to do the harder work of discerning how do you do that calling in a way that's faithful without using your brothers and your sisters. To the soldiers, and these are likely not Roman soldiers, but these are Herodian soldiers that would have worked with the tax collectors, many of them fellow countrymen, to say not, it would be easier to say, stop being a soldier. But rather he says, don't use your position as an opportunity to sin. It's not what our culture says, this is how much you need, or this is what makes you good or not, but it's a turning to the values of God in the way he has said we are to look and care for other people. But that repentance is also preparatory. Notice that the repentance is not their salvation. Their repentance is their preparation for salvation. As they begin to ask him, he's, he's powerful, he's preaching, they begin to say, maybe he's the Christ, maybe he's the promised one. He says, there is one greater than himself that is yet to come. And he says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That the Holy Spirit will actually be able to cleanse you from your sins. That the picture of purifying fire will actually burn away the dross and pollution within you. The repentance is only the preparation for the work of cleansing which is accomplished by God. Peter's 
admonition in Acts to the people that hear Peter preaching, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized in Christ. For he is the one that affects our cleansing through his perfect sacrifice, which the water points to. So for John, the baptism points forward to a cleansing yet to come that the people need, while Christian baptism puts, looks back to the baptism and cleansing accomplished by Christ. This is why Martin Luther and so many that have followed after him have spoken of the Christian life, saying the Christian life is repentance. It starts with our acknowledgement of our need and our turning to what is good and depends on Christ to effect for us that cleansing. And then for us who are trusting in Christ, who are already believers, we continue to repent. Preparing for the Lord to come, the closer His return, the more ready we want to be. Not because our salvation is dependent on our works, but we're excited to meet the Lord. For the last week, one of my kids has been talking about that he was going to go to music class. It was four days away, five days away. This is something that's just wonderful about little kids. You're going to say, well, we're going to have hamburgers on Thursday. And then every day morning, is, is it Thursday yet? Is it Thursday? They're ready, and they only get more ready. We don't look back and say, well, I repented of those sins, and I'm just going to sit by until the Lord comes. We're going to say, the more I turn from sin, the more I turn to what's good, the more ready I am to receive my Savior when he comes. This is how we are prepared, by turning away from what's bad and receiving the cleansing. The last thing I, I want to point out in this passage is the question of, are we prepared? The question we need to ask ourselves is, who are we pointing to? As I've already mentioned, John is speaking with power, conviction, under the Spirit, and the people are saying, maybe he is the Messiah, maybe he is the promised anointed one, the one that's going to rule on the throne of David, he's going to be the one that saves us. And verses 16 through 17 are a longer version of what he says explicitly in John 1.20, I am not the Christ. I am not the Savior. No, he points out that Jesus is, the one that is coming is far greater. He says that he has a greater position. John is not the Messiah, he's just the one preparing for the Messiah. And so great is the disparity that he's unfit to even untie the sandals of this great one. In that society, a Jewish slave was above undoing this master's sandals. That task was below them. It was left only for Gentile slaves. And John says, even I wouldn't be worthy for that task. The one coming is greater than him. The baptism is greater because John washes with water, but the actual cleansing will be accomplished by Christ. Jesus accomplishes salvation. And lastly, John prepares for judgment, but Jesus is the judge. Notice what this looks like when Jesus comes and is actually baptized. Again, it's very brief, and I'll point you to some other passages and other Gospels uh, for more about Jesus' baptism. But notice what happens with Jesus' baptism. When all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Notice the distinction. John says, You will need to be cleansed with the Holy Spirit and fire in order to be cleansed. You need such a washing as that. 
But the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, descends upon Jesus like a dove. This isn't a bird of prey swooping in. This is a small, relatively powerless dove gently roosting in safety. Before the Spirit can dwell in us, we must be cleansed with fire. But the Spirit falls upon us more like a helicopter in a hot zone in Vietnam, spraying gunfire to remove all the evil, to wash us pure so that it can land in safety as a holy God. But Jesus, who is already holy, receives the Spirit like a dove alighting upon him. He is holy. He is the one that the Father says is his beloved Son. He is the hope that John is pointing to, that we should be looking to and pointing others to. Our repentance and our baptism isn't our hope. They prepare us to look to our hope, who is Jesus. And maybe one of the things we need to ask is, well, how do I know that I'm really pointing to Jesus, that, that he's my hope? In verse 19 and 20, we're given a brief picture into the rest of John's ministry. It says that after this, that Herod locks him up in prison because John is confronting the sin of Herod with Herodias and his other sins. John is gaining attention. He has influence. He has spiritual power. And he might be tempted to retain that when it's threatened by political power to say, you know what, Herod, I'm going to give you an exception. Instead, he speaks the truth pointing to Christ and is willing to suffer, to lose freedom, to lose power, to lose influence because the things of this world are not our hope Jesus is. At times we're tempted to say, well, look how well I'm doing. Look how obedient my children are. Look how nice my retirement fund is looking. God must be happy with me. And that may be true. But if you are willing that all those things would be taken away for the sake of knowing Christ and proclaiming Christ, then you know you are pointing to the right hope because it's not those things. It's Jesus. Are you ready for judgment? Are you ready for death? Are you ready for the day of the Lord? If you've taken seriously what we've described, the necessary holiness to be with God, the reality that the God of the universe is coming to make himself known among his people, you might say, how can I be ready? I don't even know what that means. I can't even imagine it. You can be ready because Jesus. Because Jesus went into the unknown country of death for us. Jesus suffered the wrath of God for our sin, and Jesus walked out of the grave for us. The one who suffered judgment for our sins so that we don't have to, the one who received the acclaim of the Father so that we can share in it, we are ready because Jesus was prepared, and Jesus acted, and God affirmed that it was accomplished in Jesus. So if your trust is in Jesus, you are ready. Would we heed the words of John, Behold the Lamb of God, and in beholding Christ who is that Lamb, turn to him in faith, see the love of God in him, and find ourselves ready for whatever comes. Let's pray. Lord, many have been my words. 
I pray that it is not my words that are remembered, but your truth, according to your spirit, writing it on our hearts and empowering us to live for you. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.